We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Coming at you after a Timberwolves win on Tuesday night over the Sacramento Kings. Final score 134 to 120. It was a scoring session for both teams. If you missed the game, Anthony Edwards went off in the first quarter. He had 16 points. D'Angelo Russell went off in the first half. He had 26 first half points. And yet the Wolves were still tied with the Kings at halftime. I don't I don't know if shootout is even the right term to use in this game. It was it was mostly just at least for the first three quarters, it was just it was a no defense game. And I mean <laughs> I I guess this should have been expected. If you took a look at these teams' defensive ratings coming in the game, the Wolves ranked twenty eighth in the league this season in defense, third to last, and the Kings ranked dead last in defensive efficiency this year. Which, I mean, I guess just set up the perfect opportunity for the Wolves to just tap into what they've kind of become under Chris Finch, which is a team that tries to outscore other teams offensively while just kind of punting on defense. Um, since, since Chris Finch took over the team 28 games ago, the Wolves rank 19th in offensive rating, and they rank dead last in the league 
in defense. I mean, Finch's faster pace does have the Wolves um, offense humming a little bit better. They're, they're scoring 5.4 points per 100 possessions more than they did under Ryan Saunders when Saunders's group ranked 28th in the league during his time. But the defense has given almost all of that back in, in this 28-game stretch. They are allowing 5.1 more points per 100 possessions on defense. So it's, I mean, basically everything they've been gaining, they've been giving, they've given, or that they've gained in the Finch era offensively, they've given back defensively. And those are all garbage time filtered numbers from cleaning the glass. Okay, overall, the Wolves were 7-24 and under Saunders with a point differential of minus 8.0. Uh, the, the record, the win-loss record, has been better under Finch. They've won nine games, 19 losses, with a point differential, though that's basically the same, of minus 7.7. So it hasn't been better necessarily, but I think what we saw in tonight's game is it is more of a specific identity under Chris Finch. And that's what Carl Anthony Town spoke about. He's speaking about that identity after tonight's game. Oh, you're talking about the, the defense a, a little bit there. And, and in the past, you've talked about how intentional you are about the defense end this season. And you've clearly, you know, ascended on that end this season. I guess I'm wondering, like, where your head's at with individually. You have, you know, taken this step forward defensively, but maybe the team as a whole isn't, you know, isn't up to the standards that, that you want to be at. Like, what are you, what are you feeling like you guys need to do to, as a group, get to that next level defensively? You know, I honestly, after looking at, I was having this conversation with Finch and, and Coach Finch and uh, D'Lo, I think that the execution is just not there yet. And I think that, you know, we could make excuses and say it contributes to having a new coach in the middle of the year, having a different scheme, having kind of just a, a different offense now. You know, when the pace picked up, obviously we're going to have more opportunities we're going to give the other team possible other opportunities to have transition buckets and transition opportunities. But I think that at the end of the day, the one thing we could definitely control is our effort, how hard we compete, the urgency we compete with, um, and just the absolute fight. You know, I thought we fought tonight, you know, even with how bad the defense was in the first half and stuff, we never let go of the rope. And that's one of the things I feel we are uh, very guilty of in games like this. We let go of the rope when they start scoring. And uh, fortunately, this was a night as well where they were scoring, we were able to score as well. So, um, you know, sometimes you get real ugly wins and sometimes you get real ugly losses as yes, as last game showed, but uh, I'll definitely take the ugly win and learn from it and be able to come back tomorrow and fix, fix our mistakes. So I, I get that the execution isn't there and, and what he's talking, I understand some of the excuses baked in there, and I think they're they're warranted to you know various degrees. A new coach is going to come in, and the execution is is going to take time, and a new scheme that pumps pace is going to you know have that impact too. But I think the thing that I come back to is, is well, two things. Like one, how long how long is too long for this execution to really be this bad defensively, and then you know, balancing that against two, how much of this is just the personnel? And I know this is just me finding another way to ask the question that we've all been asking for a long time of just, is it reasonable to think that you can put this roster together 
that is made up of offensive players and expect competency overall, right? Like that's the looming question with the Timberwolves with this roster. And I mean, in, in ways tonight's game highlighted the positives of that, like that outscore you offensive plan worked, but I, I think it's dangerous how that is kind of sinking into what the identity of this team is. You know, it, it's just this, it's this weird balance, right? Because, and I think Ant is, is just the perfect sort of example of it. And tonight he was too. Like, Ant was incredible in the first quarter. Incredible shot making. 16 points on eight shots in one quarter. Like, I don't care who you are. That's special. But, I mean, those of you who watch the game, you know that Ant gave a bunch of those points back on the other end. And that, that fight and that competition that Kat was talking about defensively it just wasn't there from Ant. You know, he was, he felt more focused on the offense. It, there was this one play that stood out to me while I was watching the game, and it was, it was just a, it was a normal situation where Buddy Heald, you know, was taking a three, and Hassan Whiteside, the King center, is is in the lane, and you know, you you kind of run the odds on that, right? Like Buddy's gonna probably make that three forty percent of the time, and then, you know, what if he misses it and it's around the basket? Like Hassan Whiteside is. He's going to probably get it. So I, I, I get it. If you're Ant, you look at that, you look at those odds, and part of you in your head goes, well, how much is it even worth it to really fight here, right? You, you figure, you know, if Heal does miss the three, Whiteside's probably going to get that rebound. You're probably not going to take it away. The odds are in your favor if you're Edwards there, no matter what you do. But, but by not even attempting to put a body on Whiteside, like Ant did on that play. You're just sort of accepting the odds. And I feel like that is, that just kind of encapsulates what the Timberwolves defense has been these 30 games. It's it's like an acceptance that NBA offense is better than NBA defense. What happened is Heald missed the shot and Whiteside grabbed the board and he put it back in for a dunk. And I know that's just one play and it's probably the expected outcome of that play, but... It, the odds aren't in your favor, but good defense in the NBA is fighting to shift those odds a little bit, you know, and, and having that kind of aggregate together to improving your overall defense over the course of 100 possessions. You know, just bumping Whiteside there a little bit make a huge difference? No, not huge. Like, maybe the odds of him, if Ant really fights and he tries to put a body on Whiteside, maybe the odds of him getting that put back dunk go down by like 10%. That doesn't feel meaningful. But there, there are a ton of these plays every single game. There are a ton of these plays tonight. And it's not just Ant. I'm just using that as one example. It's a lot of the guys on the team who don't necessarily fight defensively. They don't fight through a screen. They don't scramble for a closeout. They don't pre-rotate over. They're not communicating screens before they come. And those are all the little things in the scheme over the course of the game that individually in an individual one play, it only makes a small difference. It's that 5%. But to just kind of accept that and to be passive with that, like this is how it's going to add up. You're going to have the worst defensive rating in the league. If you just don't, if you have a, when you have a couple players not fighting on possessions, it just adds up. And I'm not really, 
I'm not, I don't get the sense watching this team play that a lot of guys on the roster understand that. Generally speaking, I think they are accepting of the odds being stacked against them. And their internal justification is that they believe those odds can be also stacked against the other team on the other side of the floor because they believe they're very good offensively, which they can be. They can be very good. But the belief that they're just going to get it back there, it's not going to always work. It did tonight. I mean, they, they got it all back and then some. They, they shot lights out, and they ended up winning the game by 14 points. But overall, with this Timberwolves team, we know that they don't get it back over the course of five games, 10 games, 20 games. And, and that's not sustainable. I mean, I don't mean to be, I feel bad about being a wet blanket on a win. I mean, there's only, there's only so many wins over the course of the season. And I, I'm not going to linger on this for too long, but, but sometimes these all offense and no defense games, even if they're a win, they just feel hollow to me. Like, in the sense of the Timberwolves season right now, when you are a 15-win team, like the, the whole point of winning right now is to establish positive habits. And I don't think you can say that playing a game against the Sacramento Kings and simply outscoring them is setting like that profound of a positive habit. And the, and the greater concern I have is that I don't, I don't know how much this can be solved by teaching. I don't know how much Chris Finch or David Vantapool can teach the defensive schemes and teach defensive te- technique. Because if you don't have that fight, then I don't know. I, like, I just think that's the bigger issue here. For the impactful majority of the roster, that fight isn't there right now. And I'm not sure that I'm betting on that magically coming together with a training camp or with a better understanding of the schemes. Like, yes, training camp will help. Schemes will help. But if you're just going to accept the odds and if you're just going to have this mindset of outscoring them, I don't know that we can bet on this team making, with this roster, making an at all meaningful jump defensively. I was thinking during the game tonight, like, how the Wolves have some personnel on their roster that they play a lot that is pretty solid defensively. Like, I think Josh Okogie and Jaden McDaniels are above average defenders in the league. And I think Cat has become at least an average defender. And because he plays center, like, that has an above average impact. Like, that should. Three players, three of your starters. That should have an impact, but it doesn't. I mean, the Wolves are just still so bad at defense. You know, there's this whole, like, theory with roster construction, right? That if you have a really offensive team, like the Houston Rockets of the, you know, James Harden time, this, if you have this offensive roster, you can just add a couple of P.J. Tuckers and Luka Mutes and Trevor Rezas, and, and you can kind of balance out the more offensively focused. But that doesn't, that doesn't work for the Wolves. McDaniels and Kogi and Cat all start and play a lot for this team. And the Wolves are just still not just bad. They're the worst defensive team in the league under Finch. And it just seems so risky to me to continue to lean into, like big picture, as we talked about this, this roster going forward, it seems risky to lean into this all-offense strategy. It seems so risky to me to have your plan be to build around D'Lo and Edwards and Beasley as your backcourt of the future because collectively they don't bring anywhere near 
the required amount of execution and fight to be anywhere near average defensively. I mean, I enjoy the offense. I really do. And sometimes it's really good. Tonight it was really good. We're going to talk about that. But I leave a game like this thinking about how if Rosa's does opt to just kind of not make big moves this summer and just roll this core of the roster over in the next season, like it just feels like there'll be a team that just only wins games like this. There'll be a team that maybe beats other bad defensive teams, like the Kings, who they've beaten twice in the past couple weeks, or the Bulls. We're going to take a quick break here, but after we get back, I, I, I want to talk about D'Lo. His 26 points in the first half was a show, and I think he he factors into this like equation of we know what his strengths are and we know what his limitations are, and he's... He's, he's part of the big picture, and we're trying to figure out what it looks like around him. And then also, just with Dilo, it just feels like his successes always seem to be shrouded in some sort of mystery. You know, why isn't he starting? Why, after scoring 26 points in the first half, did he only score two points in the second half? Why didn't he close the game? These are the weird Wolves questions, and we'll get to them after a quick break here. I'm not sure about you, but I'm taking a rain check on spring cleaning this year. Freshening up for the season with comfort instead with some sheets, with some towels, some loungewear, and more from Brooklinen. And with their birthday sale happening this weekend, Brooklinen is offering site-wide savings on all things comfort for their biggest sale of the year. Brooklinen was founded by husband and wife duo Rich and Vicky with the goal to create beautiful luxury home essentials at prices that don't break the bank. By working directly with manufacturers, they ensure premium, high-quality comfort every time and at a fraction of the retail price. That means ridiculously soft bedding, towels, and loungewear. Brooklinen is so confident you'll love everything. They will give you a 365-day warranty. They've even got 75,000 five-star reviews. It's hard to argue with that. Get everything you need for a fresh spring during Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year. Shop Brooklinen's birthday sale going on this weekend. And if you're listening to this podcast after the sale ends, don't worry. You can still go to brooklinen.com and use promo code MORE, my last name, to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. That's brooklinen.com and enter the promo code MORE to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. So let's talk about Dilo's first half tonight. It really, it really was some insane shot making. He had... 26 points in the first half and only 15 minutes of play because he's on this minute restriction. He was 3 of 4 from two-point range in that run and an incredible 6 of 7 from deep. I mean, when when D'Lo gets going, he gets going. Like, there are only so many players in the league who can do what he can do offensively. 26 and a half is, is no joke, and I don't, I, I don't care if that's against the Kings. But... But this whole minute restriction thing, I mean, Dilo's been back for nine games now, and he's still on a minutes restriction, which, I mean, I don't know the full extent of the injury and the recovery and all that sort of stuff, but I, I'm sure there's a medical logic to some of it. But the the him playing, you know, still a decent amount of minutes and not starting, the not starting point is starting to get, get a little bit weird. I, I know people have conspiracy theories about this, whether it be the Wolves that you're, are tanking or that, you know, Finch is setting up the deck for next season. 
for D'Lo to be the sixth man. And those both seem pretty offbeat to me, at least in like that black and white of context. First, the tanking stuff, I just don't really get like in my head, the value just isn't really there. I mean, the, the Wolves have any of the three worst records in the league, worst, second worst, third worst, odds are the same. Their odds of keeping their pick are the same, 40.1%. And if they somehow pass not only Houston, but also Detroit and also Orlando, and they fall to the fourth slot, if they win enough to do that, their odds of keeping their pick still are 36.6%. I mean, do we really think the Wolves are willing to sacrifice competition over the whole end of the season over a 3.5% difference in keeping their pick? I mean, I, obviously you can tell where I'm at on that, but that, that's a subjective question. Some of you might. Some of you are probably of the mind that the most important thing, period, is the pick. So doing anything that impacts those odds doesn't make sense. For, for me, it, that's just a little too cut and dry. I, I see value in seeing this group actually get the chance to play together. I mean, particularly Kat and D'Lo, who obviously haven't had much of an opportunity to do that over the course of this year. But this is where the D'Lo not starting thing, you know, starts to kind of fight some of that logic because Cat starts. So by bringing D'Lo off the bench, there's this kind of baked-in stagger going on. I mean, the, the, the numbers are the surprise me of how little they've played. I mean, since D'Lo returned from the injury, he and Cat have shared the floor for 109 minutes over the course of seven games. It's about 15 and a half minutes a night. Now, Cat has played 236 minutes in those seven games. So that means that he's only shared the floor with D'Lo for 46% of his minutes. Under half. That feels, that feels way too low. If your plan, and I think we all still think this is the plan, of, of having those two be cornerstones of the team, then you, it just seems weird to not be playing them more together. I'm just not ready to believe that the big picture plan has somehow shifted to the point that you want to stagger them so much that D'Lo has to become a sixth man. I mean, that would be such a deviation from what they've lined up. I mean, I, I guess I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm not buying that. So why is this happening? Like, why isn't D'Lo starting? If it's not tanking, if it's not making him a sixth man, big picture, why are you doing it? Well, Chris Finch was asked about this Tuesday morning at Shootaround. And his answer was basically just that he's more of a, it's not who starts, it's who finishes. With D'Lo, where, where are you at with his minute restriction in terms of like, how I mean, is it can, going with push it. He, He's able to play upwards of 30. I mean, it's just, you know, he, he's kind of on that path. I mean, the other day we were down so big, I just, you know, wasn't going to waste minutes um, on him in a game of that, of that nature. So that's been a pretty slow build, I guess, getting up to that point. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, the other thing is, you know, I just talked to D'Lo this morning about it. Like, you know, we'll, we'll, it's the plan eventually to get him into the starting lineup, but we're all kind of pretty comfortable right where he is. He's he's basically, you know, he's he's a starter for us. He finishes games, and um, I like the chemistry that he and J-Mac have. Uh, Takes some of the burden off of him. Um, you know, I think the – the first unit has struggled to score at times. So I think that's something we need to look at, but in general, uh, the second unit has been really good and D'Lo has been a part of that and he's been able to create and um, 
and and he's out there with a defensive orientated lineup that can get stops and get out and run and do do things that like benefit him and everyone else. I guess if you take Delo out of the starting lineup, I mean, in the, put a Delo into the starting lineup to create scoring there, then you probably leave a very similar hole on the second unit. Well, it, I mean, if you take him out of the start uh, second unit and put him in the starting unit, you have to rejig your uh, many of your rotations in general. Right. I mean, it's that it's not just yeah, but you're you know obviously you don't want to leave yourself exposed. Now the interesting bit here, and again, that was recorded before tonight's game, but the interesting part is that Delo didn't close the game tonight, which kind of throws that all into the wind. I mean. The Wolves did start playing. I, I'm not even saying it was bad to not start Delo, but because the Wolves did start playing better defense in the fourth quarter. They after giving up a ton of points, 74 points in the first half. In the fourth quarter, they won because they only gave up 17 points in that quarter. Finch said after the game that he was just pleased with how the that starting group was playing and that he didn't want to break it up by bringing Delo or anybody else back in. And you know who knows exactly what's going through Finch's head here with this whole situation. I mean. I don't know. Maybe it does tie back into this defensive conversation we were having at the top. You know, D'Lo is, as much as he is one of those shot makers, he is one of those players that can give back a lot what he take a lot of what he takes with his defense. You know, I I don't I don't want to take too much away from one game, but this right, I mean, this is a predicament you could see coming together beyond this season. Like this idea that you that you might not be able to afford to play all your best players at the end of games because they can present problems defensively. I mean, you can't play your best players. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, if D'Lo Ant and Beasley are your second, third, and fourth best players, well, I mean, those three guys all clearly offer the possibility of giving back a lot on defense. And if that leads you to this logic that sometimes or a lot of the times maybe you're not going to be able to close with them or you're not going to be able to play them a lot because you got to balance out the defense with other personnel well now I feel like we're, we're you're setting yourself up to eventually have a personality problem a pecking order problem I, mean, I don't think D'Lo he didn't really talk about it after the game but I don't think he that, that's a, a huge deal to him one game I don't think it's a it was a it's been a huge deal to Ant the two games he didn't close but you know, if that starts being a thing next year with either of them or with Malik Beasley, like, how, how does that start sitting with those guys? You know, I, I do think the Wolves can be competitive and survive next season with one, maybe even two of their best players being all offense, no defense guys. Like, I think you can kind of find some of that rocketsy balance. But, but three... More and then maybe some of your bench guys being all offensive guys. I mean, not to beat a dead horse here, but this idea that all three of D'Lo, Ant, and Beasley are going to be able to all competently play thirty to thirty-five minutes a night next season—that just—that just seems naive. I think as we're watching more of these games, it's seeming increasingly naive. I'm just not sure this roster is capable of balancing that out with three of them. Even if they do add a good defense, even if, I mean, what we've, we've talked about these things, like this idea of adding an elite rim protector or, you know, some other sort of really good defender at the four. Like, are we sure that's going to balance out these defensive problems? Are we sure that adding an elite player brings the Wolves up from 30th defensively? Like, we're, 
it's going to make a, it would make a positive impact to add a really good defender. But we are talking about the bottom. Wolves are the worst defensive team in the league right now under Finch. They are just so far away from competent defense right now. And they, they're not only playing offensive guys. I mean, Cat, Okogi, and McDaniels, those are all competent guys who defensively who are getting plenty of run, and it's still this bad. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm struggling to see this. It, it, sometimes, like a positive, in a positive game, the negative things glare more, and. You know, and I, I I hate I hate to take away from this, but I, I I leave this game just just having I guess more questions, big picture than I did going in. I didn't give you a lot of post game commentary from the players on tonight's show, just the just those two clips there, and that's because um, a lot of the post game media session was dedicated to discussing the verdict of the Derek Chauvin case, and not me not you know plugging that in here isn't about not. You know, not thinking that stuff's important. It's just the answers were very long and extended, and it would, you know, it went like an hour after the game, and just you know, the little sixty-second clips I try and plug in here, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing it justice. So if you're if you're looking for that commentary, you know, you can all, as you always can, you can go to the Timberwolves YouTube page, and the whole post-game media session is there. Carl Anthony Towns and Josh Kogi went into great detail about what the verdict meant to them, what they felt the verdict meant to Minneapolis. And they both shared how they dedicated tonight's game ball as a team to the family of George Floyd. So it's worth your time. If you're looking for that, give it a listen. I will be back after tomorrow night's game, which is also against the Kings. And um, it won't just put me be on a solo pod. Brendan Nunez, who covers the Kings, will be joining me right after the game. And you know we'll get into whatever the, the result of tomorrow night's game is, of course. But also uh, you know have, have some other discussion topics like Anthony Edwards versus Tyrese Halliburton for rookie of the year. And then just, you know, <laughs> Brendan's covering the, another team in the league. Who's, who's struggling, you know, defensively in, in a pretty profound way too. So it's, I'm sure we'll, we'll, he'll have questions for me. I'll have questions for him about just this idea of how do you, how do you raise a team's defensive floor? So look for that episode in your feed on Thursday morning. I will talk to you then. And until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah.